conductive way And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I am once again joined by John O'Diener, and we are going to be chatting all about his recent comic, Monster Bounty. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm glad I didn't butcher your name there for you, so. <laughs> <laughs> Jono Dianer. <laughs> it's okay. I get Diana all the time, and I'm just like, there's literally no I anywhere in my name. <laughs> my mom is Lydia and gets Linda all the time. That's fine. And we're like, it's not even the same letters. <laughs> Names are fun. But before we dive into what Monster Bounty is about, I wanted to dive into your comics background a little because I know this is something that not necessarily is recent for you from the perspective of loving and enjoying comics, but from the perspective as a creator, when did you really start to get into comics and how did you end up sort of knowing you wanted to write them? So I had a few major moments that kind of happened over the years. The first one where I was trying to get back into loving comics. Um, and I always preface this with it's, one of the most bizarre sentences in the world. And it's not a name drop, but it's essential for how crazy the story was. So I don't even remember what year it was at this point, <laughs> but we were doing a Southeast Asia tour with Paramore. And at the airport, we ran into this guy and he was like, Hey, I do some stuff for Marvel. Like, uh, I recognize you, like obviously to Haley, not any of us. And he was like, and so we were in Singapore of all places. And he's like, would you like to come to the Singapore Comic-Con and hang out with us? And all of us were like, uh, yeah, absolutely. So I remember like we were wandering around there and like Haley and I were like looking at tables and stuff. And to just show how cheap of a little punk rock kid I was, I just remember like picking up every comic and being so stoked. And then like looking at the price and then putting each one down and she kept going, why aren't you getting those? I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'd rather eat like a burrito or something. And I just kept doing that. Like clearly having this interest event ended up being amazing. It was my first Comic-Con ever, which happened to be in Singapore, which is also bizarre. That's wild. Yeah. So I was like, I just kept thinking about that. And I was like, man, I wish I got that. I'm like, whatever, not a big deal. Then I was on a wrestling podcast, my friend, Aubrey Sitterson. Oh, by the way, uh, to bring it back a little bit, the guy from Marvel is now like head of Marvel. His name is C.B. Sabalski. Okay. Yeah. And he's very like a, familiar with that name now. <laughs> yeah. He's a big time dude. And that was just when he was just one of the talent scouts back in the day. Uh, so then I'm on my friend Aubrey Sitterson's podcast. And it's this big wrestling podcast where it's called Straight Shoot. And I was a big fan of just professional wrestling in general. So I'm on the podcast as like a last minute guest because someone else dropped out. And, you know, at, at the beginning of them, usually it's like, hey, we could talk for a second before everyone jumps on. And he goes, I know you're a wrestling dude. Are you a comics dude? And I paused for a second and I'm like, I mean, yeah, I like him a lot, but I'm not like super, super invested, I guess. And he goes, that sucks, man. You should change that. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. And then like he announced the rest of the guests. And I just kept thinking, like, why would he say that? <laughs> uh, it turns out that Jason Aaron was the other dude that was on the podcast. Wow. And I didn't know anything about him at the time. But the most bizarre thing was soon after that podcast, the first book that really like sucked me back into comics was because when I was a kid, I read Spawn and like a bunch of other stuff. Okay. Um, but 
I was reading Southern Bastards and like, I don't know, a year into reading it, I like flipped it over and like looked at who wrote it because I just thought it was cool. I didn't really pay attention to creators. And I was like, why do I know that name? (laughs) And then I like went on YouTube and looked at the podcast and I was like, oh my God. So then I messaged or I tweeted him and I was like, hey, remember I was on the podcast and I was saying that like, sometimes people go to events because they just want to eat corn dogs or like something like that. And he's like, (laughs) yeah, man. And then he like followed me back. And I was like, oh my God, this guy's such a big deal. And I had no idea. Like that's because I'm from music world. I'm just like oblivious to like these other worlds and stuff. So then I started like paying attention to stuff he was doing. And then I had some of my like friends who were pretty much my comic mentors. My friend, Kyle Figley, who is a, he wrote for CBR, wrote for Wizard back in the day. And he's a Michigan dude that like played in the music scene with us, but he's like a well-respected comics journalist. Okay. Him and then my friend Sam Moore, who ended up working on the Hope comic with us, uh, both of them gave me a, a stack of comics. And they're like, hey man, read these. This is your new Bible. I'm like, okay. So then I dove into that. And then that's when I was like, okay, I, as a fan, I love this. But then as a writer, I started thinking more and more about, I think I could do this too. And then I think it was uh, when I read Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, when I was like, oh, so I could be a sarcastic asshole and still be a comic writer. And it makes sense in these kind of like serious stories. Yeah. And that's when everything just clicked. And I was like, okay, I could be myself and do this. So not only was I going to the comic shop every Wednesday and like being the like the Wednesday warrior, like they call it, uh, I started adding to my pull list. I started, I got like Marvel Unlimited. I got all of the things to where I could just absorb and absorb as much as I could. And then finally, when we did that Hope comic, which is like the anthology I put together, mm-hmm. the reason I did it is because my friends and my, my friends and I were all talking about, we always wanted to do comics, but we didn't know how, and it was never going to happen. So I said, I'm going to set a timeline. We have to do this and I'm pairing you up. So you can't even think about it. We ended up putting it out. Source Point Press released it and that ended up being like nationally distributed. So all of our first comic ended up being in like comic shops everywhere. That's crazy. Then, yeah. So then finally I was like, okay, this is insane. I got to start like taking this more seriously. Yeah. So, it, which again, like my trajectory in most things, it's very bizarre, but <laughs> a, a lot of it is just cause I'm a very strange person and I don't have like barriers when I'm talking to people. Like I'm just going to be myself and like hopefully make friends out of it, I guess. That's the best way to go about doing these sorts of things now, especially in the creative world. It's like as long as you're easy to get along with and people want to hang out with you for you, then you're good if you at least have, you know, some talent behind all of that. Yeah. And and that's the other part of it, too, where it's like I started realizing most of the titles I was buying, it was reflective of who wrote them or who was the illustrator or whatever. Yeah. So I'm like. Okay, so for example, like Matthew Rosenberg, he put out like Polar Bear Club's first record. He put out a Strike Anywhere, I think it was like a seven inch or something. He's like a punk rock dude. And then I started seeing him writing like big Marvel titles and then like getting like more and more until he started doing X-Men. I was like, oh my God, this is like a punk rock dude that I know that's doing this stuff. And he has all these mutual friends. And to the point where like when I talked to him in person, he was like, Oh, you were in the Swellers? Did you stay at my house before? And I and I was like, I genuinely don't know if I did or not. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I have noticed that there are quite a few 
people who were involved in the music world in some way end up being involved in comics. Like William Ryan Key wrote an issue for Marvel at some point too. And I was just like, this is wild. Like this is someone I know from something totally different. And now they're sort of infiltrating the comic book world too. So for you, did you have any sort of formal learning process for how to write comics or did you sort of just figure it out by reading a bunch? And I know some comics will include like the scripts and stuff after as bonus material and trades and whatnot. Was that something you went to school for or really was it a DIY thing for you? It was a mix of most things. Um, I remember listening to, I think it was Patton Oswalt and he was talking about how Creative people have a tendency to binge and binge and binge, and they forget to purge. And the more information you get, you're telling yourself, I'm going to translate this into something creative and great and have this kind of output. But sometimes you get caught in that, and then you're just essentially a fan. And uh, I was really afraid of, I, of course, am a fan of comics, but I didn't want to just be that. Right. And because my brain, as I'm sure you know, just from following me on social media and stuff, like my brain does a million things at once where I'm like, okay, I have like 15 jobs and like all of these things I like doing for like creative stimulation. Yeah. So uh, when it came to comics, I was like, okay, I want to focus on this and make sure this is like one of the serious ones. So first thing, as you mentioned, I was looking in the back of certain comics that would have a script breakdown. So then I would go to the page and then I would look at the script and keep going back and forth. And then I would ask some of my friends who were like the accessible comic creators. And I'd be like, if you don't mind, would you be able to send me your script just so I could see how it's laid out? Mm -hmm. So from that, and like, that's another thing that a lot of people don't know is there is no actual standard way of writing a script. Right. As long as your creator team knows like how to translate what you're saying, essentially, pretty much you're writing a letter to them. Yeah. So I started like picking that apart. Started listening to like every podcast I can listen to, like Word Balloon, which is one of my favorite ones. There's another one called The Writer Experience that's really great. Yes. And I was like, okay, so I'm getting everything from the technical side to the creative side to the actual titles. And then I was like, I need something to refine all of this. So in addition to like hitting up my comic mentors and all that stuff, um, I took a class that I saw Mark Bernardin post about, and it was from this guy named Mark Sable. And he did some stuff for Image. He like bounced around at like Marvel, DC, a few other places. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take the risk and invest real money so I could take this class and actually educate myself on the real part of comics. And that was my like actual formative training where it was like developing an idea, doing an outline, understanding why the outline and the story arcs exist and why they matter. And then all the way to like a very like, loose like oh yeah your comic is done how do you pitch it and that's how i actually developed my first comic which hasn't come out but i did the thing that you know a lot of people do when they dig into something like this where they go okay well i want to write my masterpiece first it's going to be <laughs> the self-reflective ongoing longer than saga in the walking dead series that's going to be like pretty much i'm just going to rewrite like the iliad and the odyssey you know <laughs> and uh so I'm like making this like wild, big, super self-reflective thing. And then I, even to the point where my friend Craig Horky and I, uh, we got like five pages done. We got it lettered by a professional letterer. I pitched it to Image and then they're like, hey, sorry, it's not what we're looking for, but it's cool. Thanks. And I was like, 
Okay, so it's not that easy. <laughs> I'm starting to learn this. <laughs> At least so you then, got a response from Image, which is nice because I have, out of curiosity, gone to their website to see what you need in order to submit. So like you said, you need to have the team ready and you have to have a handful of pages at least to send to them. You can't just give them an idea and hope they'll let you run with it. You have to really already have that planned out and everything. And, you know, it's one of those things where you can tell that they are always going to put out stuff from certain creative teams. Like if you take a look at Brian K. Vaughn, it's like Image would be stupid not to release a Brian K. Vaughn comic, even if it's not exactly what they were looking for at the moment. Because I have noticed that there are a wide variety of titles on Image and a lot of them do seem to have more adult themes too at the same time. Like I'm staring at my comics right now and I have the 12 trades of Chew sitting there waiting to be read, but it's like, that's not the kind of comic uh, Marvel or DC would really be releasing. And like you mentioned earlier, Southern Bastards, which is another great series that I have had a chance to start. So you get a wide variety of things, but you still have to sort of I don't want to say fit a mold, but Image obviously knows what they're doing and what stuff they're looking for. But people also seem to not realize how many other comic book publishers there are out there, like, you know, Boom, Oni Press, Icon, Dark Horse, so many others instead of just, you know, those big three. So hopefully someone will pick up your comic. Well, so this is where it gets interesting. So I did that pitch and everything. And then I was like, I literally need to go back to the drawing board and start rethinking some things. And I actually was developing another comic as well. Um, we have a, a comic book group on Facebook. Everyone's welcome. It's called Clobberin' Time. Yes. And I started that pretty much being like, I don't know enough about comics. I want to learn. I think we all do the same way. And then all these like professionals started jumping in and it made it like a cool curated experience. But through that, I met another artist that's super rad and we've been working on another comic pitch, but it's one of those things where it's like to make it really good. You take your time to do that. And then once it's ready to go and it gets, it gets accepted then and only then do you move forward. You know, yeah. you don't do like two years of work and then go, oh, I guess they didn't want it at the end, you know? So anyway, uh, with all that being said, uh, I went to heroes con cause my friend Liana Kangas, she's pretty much my comic mom. That's what I like to call her. <laughs> Some of my like random Flint friends were going to be there as well. Uh, Carl Mizell, who worked on the Hope comic with me as well. We're going to, at the very least, like meet up and then we'll do whatever we want. But at the end of the day, we all hang out. Like that's our thing. So I would like go up to Liana and I, I don't know what it's like to like network in comics. Be, like I could do it on Twitter all day because yeah. I'm just talking to people and making like fart jokes and stuff. <laughs> but, but like in music, you could put me in a room and I'll talk to every single person and I could like, just by having some kind of like connection, you know, like here's the icebreaker, here's this, whatever. Uh, with comics, I don't really know how it works at comic events or comic cons. And so I would like just start walking around and then out of nowhere, I'd hear Liana go, Oh, Jono, by the way, you got to meet so-and-so. And then like, like, Hey, like shake his hand. I'm like, Oh, okay. And then that person ends up being like a big deal and some kind of thing. So that happened a few times. And then this is what ends up leading us to monster bounty. I'm walking down one of the aisles and this guy, Matt Emmons has this really cool setup and these like wild monsters and these really interesting like colors and stuff. And I like stop and I'm like, Whoa, this is like super cool. 
and I have three days there. So I get to take my time and like talk to people, you know? Yeah. So me and him start like shooting the shit for a second. And then Liana literally runs up and goes, Jono, Matt, you guys have to be friends. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And then she ran away. And we're like, oh, so, okay. We both know the same person. That's cool. Yeah. So what's up? Like, what's your deal? And then we started like talking about whatever. And I got to the point where I was like, if you guys want like Starbucks or something and you don't want to leave the table because you're stuck, let me know because I'm mobile and I have nothing to do half the day. And I'm like in Charlotte and I'm from Michigan and I don't have like a car or anything. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah. So we like, I, it was funny because I was like, I'll just like DM you on Twitter. What's your thing? So I add him on there. He follows me back. And I was like, oh, I probably seem pretty cool. I got a lot of followers on Twitter. And then he has like a few hundred and he's like, I mean, it's not really my main thing. I'm like, sure random guy whatever <laughs> and then so i'm like wandering around the rest of the day and then i like i was like what's his instagram i mean he's an artist he has like forty thousand followers i'm like oh shit he's like legit yeah <laughs> so you're like, like oh that makes way more sense now and that yeah. was actually going to be my next question was how you two met so that answers that but then how did the two of you come up with the idea for monster bounty was it something you already had in your head once you saw his work or was it something that you two really worked more collaboratively on so one of my favorite things i've learned when I was diving into comics, listening to other creators speak, if you really want to make a connection with someone, it's the same as like, if you're getting a tattoo, you chose the person for a reason, but if you make them invested in the project, they'll work 10 times harder and have that much cooler ideas and output. So what I tried to do with this was it wasn't even the intention of, Hey, we're going to work together. Uh, initially it was just like me being blown away by his stuff. And then I would, do these really dumb jokes like I always do, as I've mentioned several times so far. And I would just, you know, crack a little joke on like Instagram here and there. And then he started following me. And then we would like talk more about like whatever stuff and like have random stuff in common. And then he posted like, does anyone want to split a table at C2E2 with me? And I was like, before I could even change my mind, I went, I do. Absolutely. And he's like, oh, okay, sweet. It'll be this much. I'm like, cool. Send it to him on the spot. And I was like, I'm going to just dive headverse into this. And the intention was I have the hope comic and then I have the one anthology. This will be cool. Mm -hmm. With that, I was like, okay, so I have, I'm literally going to be next to this person for this whole weekend. So I was just kind of like stewing over my brain. And I, the more I kept hearing from people, they said, start with a small comic and go from there. So on my site, I had four like completely original like mini comics that my friends and I did just for fun. And my like connective tissue for all of that was I'm going to put it on my site, but I encourage people to give to one of these like Flint animal shelters. And that's, you know, essentially the donation version of it. So my friends and I worked on this stuff. We got a bunch of stuff done. So I'm okay. I have my portfolio now. And then I have uh, two things like physically printed. So I'm like, okay, so that's cool. So with all of that behind me, I was like, I want to make a comic that I would actually really, really read. And not just like, here's like a cute or interesting like short story, but like push it a little bit further and see what's going on. So I hit up Matt and I was like, hey, I don't know if this is out of line, but since we are sharing a table, would you want to do a comic together? And I'll just hook you up with whatever we make from it. And he was like, yeah, man, sure. I was like, 
okay, that was a lot easier than I thought <laughs> because the artist writer relationship is like a very, very important thing, but also your approach is very important as well. Yeah. And like, if you just go into it being like, how much do you charge? And then there's no like chemistry or anything involved. You don't really go much further. But with this, I was just straight up like, I want to work with you. I didn't ask how much he was or anything. I was just like, I will do whatever to put myself on the table to make this happen. And again, literally. <laughs> so uh, he was like, yeah, man. So like, what do you have in mind? And I went, well, it's not what I have in mind. I'm like, what are things you like drawing? What are things you love illustrating? What are things you're watching on TV, music you're listening to? And also most importantly, what are things you don't like drawing? Yeah. And he was like, oh, that's a good question. So he started like thinking about all this stuff. And then I don't know, like pretty much I knew he was into monsters and like just weird, like dystopian landscapes and stuff like that. So I was like, I don't know if you're into Star Wars, but <laughs> I am obsessed with bounty hunters like that. Everything from Star Wars to Spider-Man, like that whole world of bounty hunters is one of the most interesting, like street level things in all of any kind of IP, you know? Yeah. And when I first read this, you know, I just got it the other day off of Matt's website. There's a digital and physical copy available for anyone who wants to check it out. And right away, I was like, oh, this is like Star Wars meets a Western meets a monster story. <laughs> and it is yeah. kind of great because you can tell that those influences shine through. And the fact that you thought to ask him what he doesn't like drawing is crucial because there are some artists out there that just don't like drawing certain things. Like I'm sure some artists don't like drawing vehicles. That's a big one. The amount of people I've talked to, their first thing is usually cars. Yeah. Don't like drawing them. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that you were aware enough to ask that, I think is definitely something that can kick off a great relationship. And you can tell just from, you know, the 12 pages of Monster Bounty that you two have this chemistry going right away and it's like everything looks the part yeah and w one of the things i did was i tried to make like a lookbook like an influence guide mm -hmm. uh, so the funny thing is like i was just thinking about these types of characters like i want to do a little paragraph breakdown for each one and while i was doing it i selfishly was like how do i test my range and by that i mean I've done these like short stories or whatever, but I'm like, I want to dig into character to the point where uh, I forgot who said it again. It may have been like Jim Zub, like like one of those like bigger, like inspiring comic creators that always gives advice to people. Mm -hmm. But in one of the panels, they were like, ideally, you want to write a character or a group of characters that can go into a tunnel and all the lights go out and all you see is their word balloons and you know exactly who's who just by the way they speak. Yeah. And I always thought that was super profound. So I was like, okay, I'm going to test that. And I was like, okay, so I know dialogue. I want very specific characters. Then I was like, also, I'm obsessed with Westerns. Um, I, I just got this like reinvigoration. Uh, I think it may have been like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or something that like maybe just like fall back in love with that stuff again. Yeah. And then I've also been a huge Star Wars fan forever. And I knew The Mandalorian was coming out, but it wasn't out yet. So I was like, and this is where it gets really funny, where I was like, I would love to do a story where it's these badass character designs. And I had like Shocker from Spider-Man and like all these other guys from different things. And I was like, but the caveat is they never take their mask off. 
ever. <laughs> and he's like, dude, that's sweet. I'm like, I know, right? Not knowing that the first episode of The Mandalorian, he just straight up goes, we don't take our helmets off. And I'm like, oh, shit. Clearly so, Disney or Lucasfilm needs to hire you. <laughs> yeah, right? But but that's what like made me fall in love with that show so much where I was like, it's that primitive like childhood urge of like, no, I everyone I've ever been like attracted to character design wise, like Scorpion from Mortal Kombat, Spider-Man, like all of these people that wear a mask that just makes them look 10 times cooler because it eliminates that human element of it. So it's like automatically larger than life. So I was like, the only thing I want to give away is the very beginning wild card, which is like the main character. He has his mask pulled up a little bit so we could smoke a cigarette and that's all you get. And I was like, I love it because it's starting with a little bit and then it gives you nothing. Yeah. So then on top of it, I was, I've been like working on a lot of horror stuff and I was like, what if I can add, if I can make it like a sci-fi Western horror that's dialogue driven. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pushing it, but these are things that are really important to me, you know? And as far as like a, a test for me, I was like, I could write these different types of characters in these situations that all kind of goes through the, the through line of just being a bounty hunter. And that to me was the end goal, but it ended up making like its own really weird, interesting story, especially for a 12 pager, you know? Yeah, with this being the early stages for the comic still, what are some of your goals for it? Are you hoping this one does end up like hope in comic stores nationwide? Is it something you're going to kind of keep self-publishing a little and have physical and digital copies available just so it's easier for people to access wherever they are? So for this, the it's a very interesting uh, idea we had half because we're idiots, but half because we're really ambitious. <laughs> so we're making this issue zero. Okay. And the the idea is the comic itself is a pitch. So we want to show publishers like we're very serious about the story. We have set it up to the point where issue one can start right at the end of this one and it would make total sense. Yeah. So you essentially like I'm obsessed with Black Hammer. It's one of my favorite comics. And I, I know you're a Jeff Lemire person too. Or at least I think you are. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, if you're not, this is going to be weird. Um, so I love Black Hammer and the world that they build. And I also love the idea of being able to do almost like episodic uh, issues of a comic. So if I were a kid in a grocery store and I saw a comic or something sitting around, I could read the whole thing and it would make sense and just be like a cool little action story. But if you read it all in a row, then it's a bigger, more interesting picture. But then on top of that, instead of just having these like little cliffhangers and it is whatever, I like the idea of it being an expansive universe and not pitching someone as such, but more so being like, what if I have the ability to do five issues and it could end there if you want it to, but it will never be completely closed off. So the idea being we can pause whenever we need to, mm -hmm. or we can do a spinoff or we can do whatever, but it's written in a completely adaptable way. And that was right now, that's kind of my end goal for the thing where it's, I already have this like bizarre pitch that I've been building for a bit. But now that we have this physical comic, we want to be able to send it to people and be like, Hey, we've done 12 pages of a pitch. Yeah. And they may not be the actual like pages of the thing itself, uh, which obviously we can do it in a second, but like 
I want to show people like me and Matt are like these upcoming dudes in comics. And we take it very seriously to the point where we self-published this already. We didn't wait and try and pitch it for a year and then get bummed out that it didn't get picked up. So like just from C2E2 alone, we sold a bunch of them. And we were really excited because Emerald City was about to happen. That whole thing got postponed. Right. And unfortunately, a box of Monster Bounty is somewhere in Seattle at Matt's friend's house. <laughs> so we have to pay another like 80 or $90 to get this huge package with all of his stuff back. So which in turn, thank you for getting the digital comic, by the way, because that that money goes back to helping him pay for that stuff. So I already have in mind the people I want to send it to. But the second you get to the pitching stage, that's when it's just straight up the Wild West. Yeah. You can know everyone in the world. I could talk to people on Twitter every single day. But the second I cross that threshold of, okay, I'm ready to go. Let's do business. That is when you either don't get a response. You get one that's like, hey, dude, I feel super bad, but we're already booked for the next year. Or you get all of these different versions where I've been in music my whole life and music is rejection. Yes. <laughs> like Whether it's financial, whether it's I'm writing for a music site or I'm in a band pitching to a record label, most of it, you get turned down or rejected or completely ghosted. And I totally get that part of it. In some cases, all of the above for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, which, which is wonderful. It just made me this super positive human being. But when it comes to comics, though, I like taking all of the things I learned, the do's and don'ts from music and straight up showing people like, hey, I've been releasing my EPs, aka these issues. So in addition to Monster Bounty, we made a comic called Jetpack Zack, and it's slightly longer than Monster Bounty. So I've been like inching toward like I'm writing my full 22 pager, you know, but in the meantime, what people don't know on the outside is I've, I have several comics with several issues already written full pitches for all of them, but you may never see those see the light of day because it, it all depends on if a publisher would pick it up or not, you know? Yeah. And self-publishing is definitely something that you could do, even if you only did, you know, digital releases. A lot of people have had success with webtoons from what I've heard and read about. But it's one of those things where if you want it to end up in comic book stores, you really do have to most of the time get a publisher like Image or Boom or Dark Horse or someone behind it because they have those connections and resources and access to Diamond and all these other fun behind the scenes things that a lot of people who are fans of comics don't necessarily think about. Yeah. And like the there's this whole in-person world of it too that's very interesting and terrifying. So for example, at Comic-Cons, they call it BarCon. And it's the hotel bar after the fact. And that's where like randomly people, like the creators, the editors, whatever, they'll sprinkle in there and you'll see them just, they may be having a drink with someone or their family or eating food, or they're just like literally waiting for people to come talk to them. And it's this very intimidating thing where I would never approach someone like that unless I had an in. So for example, uh, at C2E2, it was me, my friend Sam, who worked on Hope with us, and then this amazing uh comic artist his name is josh harris and he's from flint as well but he's like this like untapped superstar and we're all sitting there and josh is doing this like absolutely insane it's like this like astronaut guy but he's like talking to this brain that has all this like stuff coming out of it <laughs> and he's just like in the zone like 
drawing this thing in like the middle of this like massive crowded room, but he doesn't care about it. Me and Sam are talking, whatever. And then next to us, Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman sit down and they're with their, what I imagine are their significant others. And they're just having like this nice dinner and stuff. And like, we look over there and like, I'm like heavy quote, Twitter friends with them. But what I've learned in the comic industry, just like the music industry, is sometimes people follow you based on your mutuals or whatever. Mm. But it doesn't mean, you know, it's not like you have now earned friendship. It's just like, oh, I'll just follow you back because you seem interesting enough to even be followed on Twitter. It doesn't mean <laughs> they read your stuff or know who you are. I learned that firsthand a few times at like one of the early C2E2s I went to. And I was like, hey, you follow me on Twitter. And they're like, oh, I was like, okay. Sure, <laughs> See if you, you later. say so. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, I very rarely get like that level of awkward. I'm like, I thought that would be an end. That's not an end. See you later, Jerry Duggan. He'll never listen to this, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> so th- there was a moment where we're like, we saw like Donnie and Ryan sitting there and I'm like, I've talked to him a bunch online, but I don't want to be that guy. And they're like with people and like, that just seems rude. Yeah. But then when they're getting ready to leave, Ryan walks over and like looks at my friend Josh's crazy art and he goes, hey man, that's super good. Good job. And walked away. And then we're like, holy shit, that was crazy. And like, I wasn't going to be like, wait, uh, you, I know you. But it was more so like, you just got recognized for being really talented by the guy that's doing Venom right now, who's like one of the number one artists in comics, you know? Yeah. And we are like, our friend didn't even know who it was. And we're like, you probably read all of his titles. And he's like, oh my God, I do. That's who it was. And he like looked around and like, no, no, don't go chase him or anything. Like, just let that be your, like, your magic comic moment, you know? So, so there's moments like that, but then there's other ones where it's like, people will be walking by your booth. And so Travis from Source Point Press, I've talked to him online a bunch. He put out the hope thing, Mm -hmm. but I've never like talked to him in person really. And he was with Andy Schmidt from Comics Experience, which is another podcast I listened to for a super long time. And that dude was like an editor on, I think it was like Civil War, Guardians of the Galaxy, like all this rad Marvel stuff. And that's one of those people where I'm like, I wish I could crawl in your brain and just know all your knowledge. But it was just like a nice little like, oh, yeah, this is Jono. He did this thing, blah, blah, blah. Like shook my hand was super cool. And I was like, I made FaceTime with this guy and I have this dumb cat banner behind me. So I'm like, at the very least, this guy's going to remember who I am. So it's those little moments of like, I guess, like social capital, if you want to call it that, where that plays so much more into pitching to someone rather than just a cold call where it's like, here's my form on my website. Yeah. We actually won't look at this, but, you know, fill it out. (laughs) It's funny that you bring up Donny Cates because the last time I was at WonderCon, he was at his table and wasn't actively doing a signing or anything. And I wanted to talk to him, but he was either with his wife or girlfriend or someone else and friends and talking. So I was like, oh, this is really awkward because I keep walking by. (laughs) And every time I walk by, he's talking to someone else. So I don't want to be that person who interrupts. And it's definitely different, I think, when you're not there just as a fan, when you're there and you have a table too, because then you're like, okay, I'm technically working and trying to be a professional, but there are all these people I want to talk to. At least I imagine that's what it's like. I have never had a table or a booth, but my friend has. And it's just one of those things where you have to find that sort of delicate balance between being a fan and being professional, especially when you're trying to be in the same industry. Yeah. And like, there is nothing worse. So 
I imagine you've been in a situation where you're sitting next to one of your friends and then someone they know comes up and then they just turn and start talking to them and you're like, oh, they're going to introduce me in a second. <laughs> and then they don't introduce you. And then you're just standing looking at them, but they're like back is kind of turned. Yeah. And you're like, do I just walk away? And then, or do you pretend to be on your phone or something like that? So uh, at HeroesCon, for example, like Liana, again, comic mom, was super busy because she's like blowing up in comics right now. She just did like She Said Destroy for Vault Comics, which is another rad like blowing up publisher. And like I kept going to talk to her and she would have like two people there. And I would just like awkwardly hover. And like, you can't not make that weird. Yeah. So I did that like several times at C2E2 this time while I was there. Like, so for example, I met Mark Sable, the guy that taught my first comic class in real life. And I had like had to like awkwardly wait. And then like the guy that he was talking to looked over and said, oh, I'll get out of my, I'll get out of your hair. And then Mark's like, no, you don't have to. And I was like, ah, I'm not trying to like scare your people away. But then I was like, hey man, uh, remember me? And he's like, yeah. So like, so there, there are like those positive moments where you have to like wait through the awkwardness to get to it. But man, like it's, it's hard to just assume someone is accessible and then just invade their space. Yeah. It's one of those things where you are going to end up in awkward situations, at least some of the time when you're sort of trying to figure out how to network in a different industry. Because like you said, you could go in a room full of music people and have no problem. But with certain industries, sometimes they just have slightly different etiquette. And you're kind of like, do I do this? Do I not do this? And then, you know, you have those times where, like you said, you're not being introduced and you're just kind of awkwardly standing in the way. And you're just like, what do I do? I have no idea. But it's something that I think a lot of people who work in creative fields have to learn because you do spend a lot of time by yourself when you're creating. You know, you probably weren't sitting with Matt while you were writing the script, it's like you write the script by yourself and then you give it to him and he does his thing and you're not sitting there looking over his shoulder the entire time he's drawing. So, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, let's figure this out. And once you figure it out, you can kind of get your footing and get going. So for you with Monster Bounty, where do you see this going for you? Is it something that you really want to push right now? Or are you still going to do this and focus on a bunch of those other comics that you said may or may not ever see the light of day? Pretty much we're going to use the physical version of this as a means to talk to publishers and be like, hey, Matt Emmons and I are a team and we have this tangible work that we took the time to do. We can do these things quickly enough, which means that if we had a monthly book, it'd be no problem. We invested in ourselves to physically print it and sell it and it sold well, you know? So it's like, so with that, the thing I've learned, and again, it's another Jeff Lemire thing where even if you're pushing a thing, you don't stop doing the other stuff because essentially I'm just throwing a bunch of shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. And that's kind of how I've been with everything I do. I'm doing two two comic pitches right now. Okay. Plus I'm writing Jetpack Zack as an ongoing thing online. I'm working on an upcoming anthology that I'm waiting on edits to get back. Then I'm working on another project coming up. So it's like, I'm as a comic writer, because I have the means to do things a lot more uh, swiftly than an artist. I have to take full advantage of that or else I lose all of my momentum, you know, Okay. which is, 
very stressful <laughs> uh, because I don't know how to like sit down and not do stuff. So when like deadlines and all this stuff comes up, I always nail my deadline. But when it comes to the the overwhelming potential of the world that is comics, where you're like, if I'm not conceptualizing my next super grand idea that's going to change the world, and I just want to watch Mad Men instead, then I feel like I'm wasting my time. You know? Yeah. So. I'm I'm tr still trying to find that balance as a creative person and someone who gets stuff done and enjoys myself in the process because the way I'm wired is I like I like the work. Right. I get stressed out about the project management part of it, but I'm also very good at it. <laughs> Given how many things you're working on, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, so if I didn't have my like reminders app on my phone or like my fiance to keep me in check and be like, "Hey dumbass, remember we're getting married and stuff." I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'll I'll, I'll work on that." So like you know, there's all these like factors in my life that are this, this nice reminder of being like, Hey, you still have to be a person, but you could also do all this stuff. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm looking at my, my bookshelf right now. And I have this top section where it's like the things I've worked on and like the physical versions of them. So I have four things up there right now, which is like, I've done more because all I did was take the extra step of going, I'm going to just invest a few hundred dollars with whoever I'm working with mm -hmm. to physically print this thing. Yeah. And a lot of people won't even take that step because they're like, oh man, it's like, I have to, I have to hire this artist for X amount per page and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, if you're getting started, what you should be doing is working with your artist friends who haven't done comics and be like, we're going to learn together. We're going to build your resume. We're going to break you into this thing. In the meantime, I'm going to get a written and finished comic out of it, you know? So the idea is to benefit everyone, barter with your talents, but then uplift each other as you grow together. And that's what, so Miranda Ireland, uh, she did one of the comics or one of the stories in Hope, a comic for Flint. Okay. And it was, it was just like the art with our friend Carl, who is now doing like comic editing. And all of us have grown in different ways since that. But now we're doing Jetpack Zach together. And her style is just absolutely bonkers. Like it's straight up like adventure time, like Cartoon Network stuff. And at first she was like worried about like, oh, I hope I draw like this chair right. And then now she's like, yeah, so I developed this galaxy with all this different stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> what? So, and her thing is like, she's just stoked to do it. And our th like we're keeping each other or holding each other accountable and being like, let's keep being creative. Let's keep pushing it. Let's just make stuff. So the more stuff we make, the more it exists in reality. So when I could show people, I'd be like, Hey, here's like these five issues of this thing that's actually finished. Also, here's a pitch for the thing that's going to be finished. And here's this, you know? So a uh, question I heard a lot at C2E2 when people are like essentially interviewing me and kind of like trying to get my pitch out of stuff. They're like, so what's your style? And for a writer, it's really interesting because an artist, you just see it and you know, yeah. With a writer, you're going, here are my five different covers of different types of books I'm doing. And there has to be some kind of through line or else it's just a waste of time for them. And the more I write, the more I realize my style is essentially like creating a world for lovable dumbasses <laughs> who are thrown into very serious situations. And they are the only person that can save whatever, whether it be their city, their planet or whatever, you know. So it's kind of like the Fargo effect where it's like very serious things happening to very not serious people. Yeah, that's great. Well, I appreciate your time. I don't want to take up 
too much more of it, but do you have anything else you want to mention about Monster Bounty specifically? This has definitely been a great look into how you create comics, what your process has been like, and, you know, especially for you, what it's like managing all these different things and working with different people. The main thing about Monster Bounty that I love is the fact that the conceptualization of it, everything from the idea of this is what the story is going to be to these are what the character designs are going to be. It happened so quickly because Matt and I saw so wildly eye to eye on everything. And it is, it just shows you the value of trusting your creative partner. Uh, so when I sent him the idea based on the things that I knew he liked and the things that I liked and that we would probably share in common, he worked twice as hard to be like, Hey, these are these amazing character designs. Does this kind of thing work? And if I had an edit for something, it wasn't like, can you change this, 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 and this? It was more so, how about we tweak this little thing, but other than that, we're good to go. Because I want him to have his vision as much as I have mine. So when the whole thing came together, my favorite part about comics is when you get pages back and you just go, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is a thing we did. This is an idea that came from my head and I trusted you enough and you pulled it off beyond my wildest dreams. And for me, that's what Monster Bounty is. It was, I'm going to just throw as much stuff as I can in this, but have the through line of this is this really simple story that's like kind of satisfies and satiates your like primal urges and like action, you know, where you're like, here are these like tropes, here are these like pretty goofy characters, but they look really badass. And this is the type of stuff they can do. Also, this is the beginning of a long story, you know? So by the time you get all of that and you see the actual thing and I, I'm physically holding it after I got it from the printer, I was like, okay, I'm a comic writer. Like the imposter syndrome for even just a day went away. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is cool, you know? And we're all filled with it. But when you get that like gratification of like, I invested trust in someone, I took a risk on them and they took a risk on me because artists don't have to work with writers at all. Like you can, you don't even need dialogue in a book and it could sell. Yeah. But the fact that someone who, and again, what makes Matt special is he writes all of his stuff and illustrates all of his stuff. Mm -hmm. So he was actually willing to work with me as a writer to illustrate that and didn't have to have complete creative control on that stuff. You know, like that was a big trust mutually. So that that's, for me, what the most like rewarding thing about Monster Bounty specific was, and the fact that it came out so cool. Well, as a reader, I can tell you that I definitely want more Monster Bounty as soon as humanly possible. <laughs> and <laughs> I understand it will take some time. But as I was reading it, I was just like, oh, this is so up my alley, especially after watching The Mandalorian and just seeing how that sort of Star Wars Western came together. I was like, this is a very good time for this kind of comic to come out because I think it's something a lot of people will enjoy and it doesn't have to have, you know, that Star Wars name attached to it necessarily. Exactly. And it's almost like training wheels for me for one day when I write the the tenth Star Wars movie. <laughs> You're going to bring us that Boba Fett movie. Oh my God, please. 
Well, Jono, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Monster Bounty and the comics world as a whole for you in particular. And before we go, I just quickly want to let you all know about our Patreon. For a dollar a month, you'll get a thank you on the show. Two dollars a month, you can pick a topic that I will discuss with a guest. And for five dollars a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack channel. You can find us at Geekdom Pod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Yay!